0: Good morning. morning. Today is a great Lord's Day to be out with God's people and worship Him. It's also a historic day here at the Lehman Avenue Church of Christ as we are ready after service. We'll do this officially to install or to appoint two new elders and we are excited about that and hope you are as well. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's here this morning, especially our guests and our visitors. We want to say before we start at the end of this lesson, Like we often do. It's our custom here. Jeremy will lead us in what we call the song of invitation, a song of encouragement. And that song is designed to create space for individuals who may want to respond to Jesus. And it just might be that somebody here believes that Jesus is the son of God and who has never named the name of Christ publicly and never submitted to him in baptism. And if that is the case, when that song is sung, that's an opportunity for you to respond and to make that known. But perhaps you would like to do it privately and you can do that as well. The invitation time to respond, but it's always open for people to respond to Jesus, obey his gospel. And also for those who may be burdened and heavy laden this morning, the invitation will be open for you as well to throw yourself on the mercy of God and on the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ as we offer up prayers to God on your behalf. Bless the Lord, O my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and with mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and kindness, The Lord will not always chide nor retain his anger forever. He doesn't repay us according to our sins, nor reward us according to our iniquities as the heavens are high above the earth. So great is his steadfast love to those those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. But as for man, his days are like the grass. He's like a flower of the field that flourishes. The wind passes over him and he's gone and his place knows its way no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those that fear him and his righteousness. To those that keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you whose angels and you mighty ones that do his word obeying the voice of his word bless the lord all his hosts and you ministers that do his will bless the lord all his works where his dominion goes bless the lord oh my soul psalm 103 is the first psalm a long string of psalms that begin This idea of praising God and an emphasis on exalting the Lord. In fact, Psalm 103, 104, 105, 106, 107 all begin in similar fashion with this focus on exalting and praising God. And yet Psalm 103 is unique. It's the only psalm in that section that's ascribed to David at the top. The heading in your Bible may say of David or for David. It's also the shortest in that section with just 22 verses. And yet at the very same time, the most comprehensive. David on a guided tour on how to praise God and why we should. Now, that's not news for us. You've gathered this morning on a Sunday to worship God in spirit and in truth. And yet, if you're like me, you know that God should be praised. But it just might be the case that you find yourself saying the same things about the same things when you pray to God. And when you. It's not a bad thing in prayer or in praise. But if there's more to say. What if there's more to say about God and to God than we often find ourselves saying? What if there's a buffet of options that we haven't availed ourselves to? What if there are heights we haven't known and depths we haven't reached in our in our praise in which we could with just a little divine aid and guidance? That's what David provides us with in Psalm 103. And he's just the man to do it. He's not only a man after God's own heart. He's also called the sweet psalmist of Israel. Second Samuel 23 and verse one. He's also a man that had a hunger and thirst for God himself and so we should let him direct us. Direct us in our thoughts, direct us in our praise. He lived under a different covenant with different regulations and different expectations. but one thing remains constant, regardless of the covenant, regardless of the dispensation, God is to be praised and the Christian age is no different. The psalm breaks itself down simply. The first six verses is about the individual's praise. Verses seven down through verse 18 is the congregational praise as David invites the rest of Israel to join in with him and talks about the worthy things that God has done and why he should be praised. And then the psalm reaches its crescendo and it's ending in verse 19 down through verse 22 as all of creation is invited into this praise of the Lord. Now, just about every major translation runs the word blessed throughout Psalm 103, and that's perfectly fine, but it also could be translated praise. Because this idea of blessing God goes hand in hand in the old covenant with praising God and giving him what he is due. And David is going to walk us through this morning how that's done. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn it to Psalm 103 and just leave it open as we march through this psalm and briefly note seven things that David teaches us on this guide to praising the Lord. David will tell us both how and why and give us assistance as we give God exactly what he's due. Now, here's number one. David says, praise him with your whole being. Bless or praise the Lord. O oh my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Notice what David says as he begins. This is personal for David. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul underscore that that means everyone in this auditorium, everybody in the world has to make this decision for themselves. But as we make it, we need to remember that this is the very reason why we were made to begin with. Isaiah 43 and verse seven says that he made us for his glory. We are doing exactly what we were formed in fashion to do when we find ourselves praising God. Would you notice the text again? David says, bless the Lord. O my soul. He says that three times, first in verse one and then in verse two and then in the last in the last verse of the psalm in verse 22. Bless the Lord. O my soul. And then all that is within me or with my innermost being. Bless his holy name. The first thing David teaches us, the psalmist says about praise is if you're going to do this right, it's going to take everything you've got. Bless the Lord with all of your being. That is, bring all of your faculties into this. Don't leave any part out. Give God your everything. Focus on giving him all that you are. And as all of this energy and all of this excitement and all of this adoration bubbles forth, God has provided eternal wisdom as an outlet to express our thanksgiving. It's what the law taught was the ultimate pinnacle of human existence and the greatest command. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you will love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Another way to say that would be with your everything. And that's what David drives at. When Hannah finally had her revealed in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 1, she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. When Mary was blessed with bringing the Messiah into the world, we sing this song. You remember what she says? My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. Luke one, 46 and 47. David says my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Psalm 34 and verse two, more than a mere outward going through the motions. This involves the deepest part of who we are. And God, who has both redeemed and sanctified our body, soul and spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, demands that we use all three in our worship and praise to him. It's only right. Look at the psalm again and notice how often it says in this psalm that God gives his all. Notice verse two. For all of his benefits, underline that. Verse three, he forgives all of your iniquities. Verse six, he redeems and rescues all of the oppressed. God has given his all. And David says in response to that, when you come before him in praise, you be sure to bring your all as well. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It means that we've got to be focused and locked in as we worship God and give him the best. The melody comes out of our mouths, but it starts in the heart. Ephesians 519, Paul talks about Christian singing and he says, speaking to yourselves, that's the mouth and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. Where in your heart? That's where it begins. Bless the Lord. O my soul and all that is within me. Proper praise involves the totality of who we are. And God is worthy of that. This means don't hold anything back. It means throw yourself fully into this and give God exactly what it is that he is due. Maybe sometimes you're sitting down, you're watching TV or maybe working at the computer. You stand up to get on with things and to do something else. And we might say about our legs or our arms, it has fallen asleep. My leg has fallen asleep or my arm has fallen asleep. The technical term for that is parenthesia, or something of that nature. You'll get it when you Google it. <laughs> but the proper name means something about your nerves. Something about the nerves have become irritated and compressed, and they say there are more severe cases of this. But typically, if your arm or leg falls asleep, all you've got to do is shake it out. And you can just go on, you just reposition your arm, reposition your leg, and you can just just go on with things as they were. David starts this psalm, this hymn of praise. And what he does is he wants to reposition his soul. He wants to. His inner man does not fall asleep. And so he wakes up everything within him and says, bless the Lord. Oh, my. soul. we've got to get this right. We can worship and we can go through the motions. But if we really don't lock in inwardly, it'll be all for naught. Give God everything you have. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord with your mind. Think the right things about God. Philippians four and verse eight. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord with your heart. Feel the right things toward him. Psalm 18 in verse one. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. And bless the Lord. I praise him with all of your strength. Perform the right acts toward God. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. As David takes us on this guided tour of the praise that God is due. The first thing he says is do it with your whole being. Now, here's number two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Praising God properly means remembering the benefits that he's given us. David says, and forget not all of his benefits. He repeats his first line, and then he adds this about remembering his benefits. Now, remembering the good things that God has done for us should be as natural for us as breathing. We should expect that, or at least we would. And yet, throughout the Old Testament, God is reminding his people, what do you do? Don't forget all that I've done. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 12, he says, "Don't forget that it was I that brought you out of the land of Egypt and delivered you into the land of promise." Hosea chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, "Has Israel forgotten that it was me that gave them the grain, the wine, and the oil, the silver, and the gold I harvested on them, which they're now using for bail? Can a bride forget her ornaments or made her attire? But my people have forgotten me days without number." Jeremiah 2:32, God is saying, "Don't forget me." Doesn't your heart break when you read the story of Joseph and you get to Genesis chapter 40 and the cupbearer who only knew about his freedom based on the good news delivered to him by Joseph. Joseph begs him in Genesis 40 and verse 14. When you're delivered, do me this one kindness. Don't forget me. I've been delivered into this prison house and I don't belong here. In the last verse in the chapter, Genesis 40 and verse 23 says, but he forgot him. But worse than that are those who forget the one who formed and fashioned Thus, David says, do not forget his benefits. Now, if you look throughout this psalm after verse two, down from verse three through 18, David starts to enumerate some of the benefits that God has given. But his list is by no means exhaustive. He means what he says in verse two. Forget not all of his benefits. We don't have God's permission to forget any of his blessings or any of his benefits. Don't forget them. They're not deserved. They're not merited. They're merely given because God is kind and God is good. And David says, remember how good God's been to you and show him that with your thanksgiving, with your appreciation. Don't forget the goodness and the kindness of the Lord. You know, there are people that live their entire lives and they never stop to think about this reality. They never stop to think about everything in their lives. Every good thing that's flowed in has come from God, whether they believe in him or not. Jesus says, He makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just as well as the unjust. And many people never stop long enough to appreciate it. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, wrote an essay in 2006 called Gratitude Without God. To whom does the atheist give thanks? And he talks about the frustration of being an atheist and going out and seeing the pristine beauty of a lake, seeing a beautiful sunset, hearing the birds chirping, feeling the warmth of the sun on your face and this sense of gratitude welling up within you. But your inability to express thanks to anyone, it's a natural human response. But because you've refused to acknowledge the one that put it there, you know you didn't. There's nobody left to thank. What a frustration. What a terrible place to find yourself in. But worse still is the one who knows who put it there and who refuses to give thanks. The atheist struggles with who to thank, but the Christian struggles with how to thank. David says, don't forget all of his benefits. You don't deserve them. John Piper said God is often doing 10,000 things in your life and you probably know about three of them. He's doing great things. Do you have any idea of all of the benefits God has blessed you with? You say, well, I know about some of them. Does God know that you know about some of those things? Have you told him? Ephesians 5 and verse 20, Paul says, giving thanks always for all things to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we tell him? Thank you. We appreciate you for all of your benefits because we truly don't deserve them. David says, please, whatever you do, don't forget his benefits. To spit in his face with forgetfulness is one of the greatest disrespects that he endures from his creation. Moses told Israel in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 18, you forgot the God who bore you and the Lord that gave you birth. If you want to bless God, if you want to praise God properly, remember his benefits. Make yourself behold the goodness of God. Romans 11 and verse 22. Cause yourself to recall to mind all the great things that he's done. I know this is hard to think about, but there was a time when we all pretty much. Had a ready recollection of everything. You remember, you knew your phone number, you knew addresses, you knew your account number by heart. We just knew these things and had them at a ready reference for recall at a moment's notice. We don't need that now. And I'm glad we can click and swipe our way to whatever we want. But our memories have sort of suffered as a result. And David says, whatever you have to do, whatever it takes, whatever generation you live in, it really doesn't matter. You cannot afford to forget his goodness. Hosea 13, five and six. God says, I lavished them. I brought them out of Egypt. But when their hearts were filled they were lifted up and they forgot about me. David says proper praise starts when you remember the Lord. And it works both ways. When you remember, you praise. When you praise, you remember. Don't forget his benefits. Nobody can answer this for you, not your spouse. You can't answer for your children. But examine yourself. And tell yourself, answer this question. Do you find yourself thinking more often about the things that you've wanted and never received? The things you've desired but have not yet gotten from God? The things that you feel are goals and things you still hope to reach, all that's out in front of you that you hope to lay hands on? Or do you find yourself most often in your empty moments thinking about all that has already been bestowed? Now, be careful, because the way you answer that question, the way I answer that question tells us a lot about our ability and our desire to praise God. Do we truly give him what he's worth? David says you can do that and you can do it properly if you resolve never to forget his benefits. Here's number three. David says praise him for his forgiveness. I realize that this idea of forgiveness reaches its pinnacle in the new covenant with what Jesus does on the cross. But people in the Old Testament were not. They weren't ignorant about forgiveness. In fact, the concept of forgiveness was not foreign to people who lived under the old covenant. Some of the most powerful verses in your Bible about forgiveness are found in the Old Testament. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Isaiah 1:18. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one to whom the Lord will not count sin. Psalm 32:1 and 2. He's cast my sins behind his back. Isaiah 38 and verse 17. I even I am he who blot out your transgressions for my own name's sake. Isaiah 43 and verse 25. He's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7 and verse 19. David says one of the things to remember as we praise God is his forgiveness. Hold your hand in Psalm 103 and go to Psalm 130. Go to Psalm 130. This is another Psalm from David, and it's about David being in the depths and David finding himself in a bad way and in a bad situation. David knew about forgiveness, not just because of Bathsheba, but just because he was a human being with weaknesses and frailties. But notice Psalm 130 in verse three. If you, O Lord, would mark iniquities, who would stand? What's the answer to that question? If God marked iniquities, if God exacted what we deserved as soon as we sinned, who would stand? But notice his response. But with you, there is forgiveness. So that you might be feared. Praise God for his forgiveness toward us that we really don't deserve. Look at what David says in verse three of Psalm 103. Who forgives all of your iniquities? He's kind. Franklin D. Roosevelt, the 32nd president of the United States, has been called by many the most forgiving and pardoning president in our nation's history. And he is by the records he issued in his time as president over twenty eight hundred presidential pardons. What are those? A presidential pardon is where a president can come in and by his own discretion, he can forgive charges, federal charges against the United States and release individuals who were convicted or charged otherwise. He had 2,800, 400 acts of commutation and another 400 acts of clemency. In total, Roosevelt totaled 3,000 acts of mercy during his time as president, far and away and above anybody else. There's not even a close second. But Roosevelt's forgiveness next to God. Makes him look selfish, intolerant and petty. Nobody has ever forgiven more than God. Nobody's pardoned more than the king of kings. And at the very same time, nobody's ever been offended more than him. David says, praise God for his forgiveness. He forgives all of your iniquities. He heals all of your diseases. Sometimes we're too soft on sin. And we undermine his righteousness. We'll say something about a transgression. I can't believe somebody's going to hell for this. You name it, lying or lust. And we'll say, I can't believe God's, he'll send somebody to hell for that. And we don't take sin seriously. But at the very same time, sometimes we're guilty of taking sin more seriously than grace. And God says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And we say, well, you can forgive me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much of it I've done. David does not qualify his statement in verse three. Circle it, underline it. All of your iniquities. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we do enjoy fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sins. First, John one seven. He forgives us. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. Hebrews 8 and verse 12 says, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness, your sins, your iniquities. I'll remember no more. When you praise God, don't forget that God has chosen to forgive us. Down in verse 12 of this psalm, he says he's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That means God is not going to bring them up anymore. They're washed off the record. God's given us a new leash on our relationship with him. It comes at great cost to him. The only way God can ultimately forgive our sins is for his son to die on the cross. And it is a price that he gladly pays because he wants you to be close to him. God does this in order to redeem, in order to save, in order to forgive. David says when you praise him. Remember that he's forgiven. Remember that he forgives all of your iniquities. And what are the diseases in verse three? The diseases that he heals may be physical ailments, but they may be sometimes this word is used for things that God puts on people in the Old Testament because they violate his will. See Deuteronomy 28 and 29. But whatever it is, David's not worried about it because that's covered, too. Our God will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55 and verse seven. David can sing to the top of his lungs because he gets this. And we may say that we do, but sometimes we don't. We don't sing loud enough or praise mightily enough because sometimes we don't appreciate what we've been forgiven. Jesus comes into the house of the Pharisee, Simon, and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wiped my feet with her tears and with her hair. I came into your house, you gave me no kiss, but she has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, you didn't anoint, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But to he that's forgiven little, he loves little. Luke 7, 48. Get your ledger before God. Have you been forgiven little or much? And does your praise reflect the same? David says, when you praise him, remember his forgiveness. Here's number four. Praise him for his redemption and his goodness. He redeems your life from the pit and he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. David says, when you praise, remember his redemption. This idea of redeeming somebody has rich, rich relationships in the Old Testament with various ideas. The idea of redemption in the Old Testament is goel, this person that would rescue family members. It's about a person in the family, your physical family being in danger and somebody else stepping in to help them. And so, for example, if somebody were to kill you in Old Testament times, your family member, your redeemer, numbers 35, 19 through 23, would come in and redeem your blood. If you fell into financial hardship, and look, I've got to sell my property. Your redeemer in your family would go in and purchase that property, Leviticus 25, 25 through 33, so that the property could stay in the family. If you died without having children, your redeemer, your family member would marry somebody in the family and bring up offspring. Roof three, nine through 13, so that the family could stay together. When David says God redeems our life from the pit, he's saying you're in the family of God. You're an image bearer. You belong to God. And God says your problems are my problems. I will redeem you and I'll rescue you. He praises God for his ability to redeem and rescue our lives from the pit. As if I needed any more motivation to avoid elevators about three weeks ago. There were five tourists that were trapped 200 feet underground as they went to tour the Grand Canyon caverns. They went there and elevator malfunctioned. Now, some of the people that went on this tour were able to walk the 21 flights of stairs back up to normal civilization, but others could not because of physical ailments and handicaps. And still others decided to stay behind with those who couldn't make the trek. They were stuck down for 30 hours. Eventually, There was this sort of basket apparatus that was let down and they all were rescued one by one. But here's the question. Without that basket apparatus, without the rescue that were made, how do they get up the 200 feet? How do they survive if they can't walk the 21 flights of stairs back up to ground level? How are they ever going to get out of this situation, this predicament that they found themselves in? And then we appreciate where we find ourselves. We're in a pit, David says, Psalm 103 and verse four. How are you going to walk the hundreds of thousands of flights of stairs of righteousness to get back into his good graces? How do you plan on righting the wrongs that nobody can right by living a sinlessly perfect life? David says he does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He redeems your life from the pit. Jesus redeems us from the pit by going into the pit. He takes our place in the pit so we can take his place near the throne. He saves us. And if that was all that he had done, that would be enough. But look at verse five. David says he satisfies you with good. Why does he do that? He does good because he is good. Psalm 25 and verse eight. But there's more so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God redeems us, but he does more. He clothes us in this royal garb, David says, with his steadfast love. And then he satisfies us with good. Why? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David says, you know what God eventually does for us that we're in the pit? He restores all of those years that we lost in sin. He gives all of the energy back that we surrendered when we were in the far country of disobedience and rebellions. You don't know anybody this good. He says, I restore the locusts of eaten." Joel 2 and verse 25. God loves us. Oh, yes. He's to be praised. He's to be worshiped. Praise him for his excellent greatness. Psalm 150 and verse 2. David says he redeems and David says he's good. Here's number five. Praise him for his righteousness and justice. That's in verse six. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed in every human heart. There's this desire for justice. In fact, as soon as kids can speak, they start saying these words as they interact with other people. That's not fair. And if you live long enough, not much of life is. But do you notice what David says? God is the fair one. He's the one that makes everything right that's wrong in the world. He executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You might read this psalm and get the idea that, well, God just lets anything go. Oh, no, the psalmist says he will punish. He will repay. He will not let the guilty get away with anything. Nahum 1 and verse 3. In fact, throughout this psalm in verse 11, verse 13 and verse 17, all of the benefits in Psalm 103 are reserved for those that fear him. Everybody else is God's enemy and they will be punished. He works righteousness and justice for everybody in the world who's oppressed, for every human that has ever been trafficked, for everybody that's ever been abused physically or verbally, for everybody who's ever been misrepresented and falsely accused, for everyone who's ever been stomped on or stepped on in darkness. David says, I can praise my God because he will right those wrongs. Do you know people, based on their misunderstanding of Psalm 103 and verse six, actually withhold praise from God? They say, I can't serve your God. Look at all the wickedness and all the unrighteousness in the world of which he does nothing. David knew better. He says, oh, he will listen to his assurance in Deuteronomy 32 and verse thirty five. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. He's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Acts 17 and verse 31. When you pray, when you praise, when you sing. Remember, we praise the God who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Imagine serving a God who was so distant from humanity that he couldn't do anything about the problems that people had and that they suffered. Imagine serving a God who observed those problems, but he was too weak to deal with them. Or maybe one that was observing those things and who had some power, but he had so many balls in the air. He got so overwhelmed. He could deal with some of them, but not all. And he always stopped short of your case. David says every act of unrighteousness, every miscarriage of justice, God works just out on them. When we praise him, we need to remember the God that we serve. He's the God that always works justice and does what's right. Deuteronomy 32 and verse four. Here's number six. Praise him for his revelation. Can you say cool about the Bible? I think the psalmist does something cool when you get to verse seven. Hold your hand in Psalm 103 and go to Exodus 34 and verse six and seven. Because here the psalmist quotes from the Bible and he dips back into something that God says about himself in this guided tour of praise. David says, remember to praise God for his revelation. And then he says, God reveals his way to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. What is that all about? Now, you need to see both of these passages at the same time to appreciate what the psalmist does. In Psalm 103 and verse seven, he says, God showed Moses who he was and the children of Israel. Now, go back to Exodus 34. This is where Moses said, God, show me your glory. And God said, wait a minute, Moses, we can't do that. Nobody can see my face and live, but I'll let my glory pass before you and tell you who I am. Now, read Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is what God says about himself. He's the Lord, the Lord God. He's gracious and merciful. He abounds in steadfast love and mercy. He doesn't retain his anger forever. And it's the same thing that David says in Psalm 103. In fact, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the most quoted verse in the Old Testament about God's character. When people in the Old Testament wanted to know who God was, they just quoted this verse. Numbers 14, 18, Nehemiah 9:17, Second Chronicles 30 and verse 9, Psalm 86 and verse 5. When they wanted to know who God was and who he is, they said, well, this is who he said he was. And they would say, this is our God. Why do you have a Bible on your lap or a Bible app on your phone this morning? You might say I downloaded it or I bought it. But I'm asking you a deeper and a different question altogether. Why was there a Bible to buy or an app to download to begin with? It's because God in his kindness has chosen to reveal himself. The sun, moon and stars, they can tell you a God's there. But the Bible, you need divine revelation to know what kind of God is there. The psalmist does not take for granted that God will reveal himself. He's awed and blown away that God will tell us who he is and how he is. And he praises God for his revelation. You know why you have a Bible to read? Why it's been preserved in your language to read his promises and to consult with his truths as often as you would like? It's because God in his eternal mercy has revealed himself. He hasn't played keep away with us. He says, here I am. You can come to me and worship. Beware of worshiping a God made in your own image. May our estimation of him match his revelation about himself. God told him in Psalm 50 and verse 21, you thought I was altogether one like yourself. I'm not like you. I'm different. I'm exactly who I say I am. And we should praise him for revealing that truth to us. Now, here's the seventh and final one from Psalm 103. Praise God for his mercy. The psalmist says in verse 13, just like a father, God pities his children. In verse 14, he knows our frame. He knows we're dust. He won't hurt us. And he talks about how God is worthy to be praised. In verse 19, he says God's kingdom rules over all. He invites the angels to praise in verse 20, the heavenly host in verse 21. You might think as you start getting to the crescendo of this psalm that we as human beings have no right to be in this conversation. I mean, you've got the angels praising in the heavenly host. But David says we've got a place here, too. Sometimes this happens with young boys as they grow up and they get stronger. They deal with people younger than them or maybe even people of the opposite sex. And a parent. Has to say, Wait a minute. You don't know your own strength. You need to take it easy. You might hurt somebody. Nobody ever has to give God that conversation. Nobody ever has to say, God, you don't know these people. They're frail. You could break them into the psalmist says in verse 14. He knows your frame. He knows us. He knows we're dust. He deals gently with us in his kindness. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God. He didn't take you the moment that you sin and exact the punishment that our sins deserve. And there may be somebody here, you know, you need to obey the gospel. You've been knowing it longer than you've been knowing that you need to. Don't spurn his mercy. Embrace it. Turn to him. He will not wait forever. But he's merciful toward us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. He's rich in mercy. The only thing in the Bible God is said to be rich in is his mercy. And praise God that that's the case. He knows us. As we close, look at verse 20 down through verse 22. You've got the angels praising God. You've got these heavenly hosts or these ministers. The first part of verse 22 says, Get the last word, the and it ends with us. Praise the Lord or bless the Lord, O my soul, and we should do it because God's been merciful to us. When the angels sinned, heaven didn't bat an eye. God cast the angels down to hell. Second Peter two and verse four. But when Adam and Eve sinned, God, in His mercy, He started marching toward Calvary. God wants you in heaven more than you want to be there, and we should praise Him for His mercy. We probably sometimes say the same old things about the same old things. And David gives us help in Psalm 100 and verse in Psalm 103. David says, God is to be praised. And I'll show you how and I'll show you why. If you just lock in with David, he says there's more to say about God. He's given benefits. He's given forgiveness. He's rescued. He's redeemed. He's going to work righteousness and justice for everybody in the world. He's revealed himself so that, you know, the kind of God that you're dealing with. And he has been merciful. He's dealt delicately with us, though we have. Respectfully with him. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. As we started this sermon, heaven's invitation is open and Jeremy is going to lead us in a song to encourage us in that regard. If you need to respond, if we can help you in any way, come now together. We stand and as we sing.